0: like, I need my hands. Oh, there we go. My last name is Polish, but I share more in common with the Italians. I like to move my hands when I talk. So, I really do appreciate what our team did at Arrowhead. It was, it's a beautiful thing. A lot of times, the most beautiful things in life look really ugly from the outside. You know, uh, marriages sometimes can get real ugly. Relationships can get ugly. The cross was ugly. So thank you for what you did. I mean, you guys raised money, essentially paid to go work 11 hours a day for three days. That is crazy. Just saying, like, without, without the gospel, that is crazy. Like, you know, that only makes sense if the gospel is true and real. So, I want you guys to use your imagination with me this morning. Imagine a beach. Okay? You're standing on a beach, and you're looking out across, let's just say it's Lake Ontario, right? So if you're standing in certain spots in Lewiston, you can see Toronto right from the other side. Uh, and so, somebody decides, you know I like it out here, but it gets a little cold, you know, sometimes. So they build a pool. Someone builds an in-ground pool right on the beach. This actually exists. I looked them up earlier this week, I couldn't believe it. Okay? So they build an in-ground pool, you know, it's a few feet deep, whatever. It's right there on the beach, so you don't have to wade into like the four degree wet, four degree temperature water and die. And then after a little while, the person, let's say, let's say it's you. After a little while, you take your bajillion dollars that you magically have in this imaginary scenario, <laughs> and you build a dome around the pool because it's kind of cold and like sometimes there's some funny smells and the seagulls think all your food is theirs, and uh, they you know they poop on you and stuff. It's kind of weird. So you're like, you know, I, I don't know. Like so you you seal it off and then you know you you don't really have enough money for glass, so you paint the the horizon on the walls, okay? So it's a nice way to kind of get away from the beach when you're tired of it or the sun is trying to kill you, you know, because it's baking you and stuff like that and you're red. But you see, a lot of folks in their spirituality, they enter this little pool with the dome and they forget that the lake is outside. So they stay in this little pool, however many feet deep it is. It's only so deep. After a while, you're going to find everything. After a while, you're going to get bored with the walls. And so some folks think that their walk with God is just this little pool. It's just these painted walls. We can only go so far. One of the key elements of this new series is helping us not to get stuck in the pool but to go out swimming in the ocean. Because there literally is no limit to the depths of who God is. There really isn't. But a lot of folks, they swim inside their gated-off pools and they touch the bottom and they think that's all there is. That's not all there is. The Bible says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are you? So I want to invite you to walk with us in this. It's time for us to get out of that little pool and take our steps into the ocean or into the lake, whatever you want to call it. Now, out there it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's a little cold. Sometimes birds poop on you. Sometimes it smells funny. But it's worth it. So, turn with me back to John, if you don't have your Bibles open already. John 15, 7-10. And I want to focus on this. So if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. A lot of times, we turn Christianity, this is where we get stuck. Because it's easy to turn a Christian life into a life where you keep a bunch of rules. Right? Keep a bunch of rules, you make God happy, go to church, sing a couple songs, sit down, be quiet while the preacher's talking, he doesn't like it when you seem like you're enjoying yourself. Give some money, move on with your day. A lot of folks have reduced Christianity to just that. Now look, if that's all Christianity is, I'm out. Because I would be bored quick. Boring stuff. But as we saw from the folks who visited Arrowhead, it's definitely a lot more than that. So I want to call your attention to what we read and to the fact that Jesus felt the need to go off by himself. Now, I am Captain Extrovert. I could have a giant E on my chest. For me, a great day is let's go to a party and introduce myself to as many people as I possibly can and get to know something important about every single person. I want to know how they all work. Now, I might not remember all their names, but I will look them in the eyes and remember who they are, where they're from, and what's important to them. I'm not amazing. It's just how I'm wired. Emily does not think that would be a great way to spend the day. Right. She would be drained by like, I don't know, person 50? Person (laughs) 5? Person 5. Right, we're different. So see, a lot of folks, when I was uh, developing a new covenant when I was growing up there, um, folks, they used to be impressed with the fact that I like to be around people. And I was like, that's not impressive. I just like that. It takes zero discipline for me to do that. Okay? Really. It takes zero discipline for me to read things for fun. I read old books for fun. I'm a weirdo. I do. It's, it's just who I am. Okay? There's no discipline involved. But getting to know God does take some discipline. I don't like to just go off and be alone all the time. Now, I'm finding that I need that desperately. After a while, at some point, I need to go be by myself. Usually, it's somebody who does something very minuscule, and I want to kill them for it. And I realize, all right, I need a minute. If Jesus found the need to go be alone, to get away from people, how many know that when Jesus was here in the flesh, like everybody and their mom was pulling on him, saying, hey, can I have this? Hey, can I have that? And that's what he was here for. But he needed a minute. He couldn't just do it 24-7. The guy had to sleep. The guy ate. There was one lady, he healed her. She's sick. It was Peter's mom. She got up and fed the guy. He's hungry. Jesus had real needs. The God of the Bible knows what it is to be human. Not so for any other God. If Jesus needs a minute to be alone, we do too. So as you're, as we're going through this, I want you to think about that. Where in your day? Maybe you only have 10 minutes. Fine, start with 10 minutes. The disciples, when they're in Gethsemane, right? Jesus is about to be arrested. Like, everything is going to hit the fan soon. And the disciples fell asleep trying to pray. So you're in good company. You're not, like, unspiritual or horrible because you might fall asleep. Or because you're having trouble finding time. Start with 10, 15 minutes to find and get alone and read what the Bible says to you. Just start with 10 minutes. Start thinking about that while we're talking today. What in your day? Where in your day can you do that? So I want to encourage you to start before you go to the Word of God to pray. Ask God to help you out, right? Because we have this problem that we call confirmation bias. Everyone say confirmation bias. Right. Everyone, one more time. Confirmation bias. Okay. So confirmation bias. How many know what confirmation bias means? Okay. Confirmation bias is, I think this. I think that this Bible is made out of steel. I am in a fantasy world, but we'll just go with this. This Bible is made out of steel. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go find an article on the internet that proves my Bible is made out of steel. I'm going to ignore every other thing that I read that says, no, John, you're crazy. And I'm going to go find the thing that proves I'm right. What happens sometimes when we come to the Bible is we read the Bible through our own filter, right? We're 21st century Westerners. We have a certain way of thinking. Okay. So I want you to stop and I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you out. Now that does not guarantee you won't read things through a 21st century American person, all right? It's going to happen. But the Holy Spirit can still help you mitigate some of that. I want to point out in those verses we just read, Jesus associates abiding in him with his own words or commands. Now, right away, people are like, oh, John, you're preaching works religion. you got to read stuff and know stuff. All right, stop. Hold on a minute. If I say to Emily, I love her, but I don't take the time to know anything about her, then I'm going to love whatever I make up in my head about her. Emily becomes a person who is really just made in how I think Emily should be. And I don't love Emily for herself. So I'll convince myself that Emily loves talking to 200 people in a nut. And she'll be so angry with me by like the 100th person, probably much sooner than that. She'll be like, John, I need to go home. I need to rest. I want to kill you. And I'll be like, well, honey, how can you be so selfish and sinful? No, I'm the selfish, sinful one. Because I have created Emily in my own image. Because I didn't take the time to know her. Does that make sense? Right. So we study the Word of God, not because we want to impress God. Let's be fair, nobody impresses God. He's the most powerful being in the universe, created everything, blah, blah, blah. You're his kid. He loves you. He's not impressed. But if we want to know God, we have to read what the Bible says. Otherwise, we will make God in our own image. I promise you, you will do it. Jesus will become either a 70s hippie who's cool with weed, who thinks that, you know, man, it's all cool. It's just about the meaning of life, man. Don't judge people. Don't ever tell them that they're wrong. We'll go there because that's the mood of our time. Or we'll go the other way and we'll only ever talk about Jesus when he's flipping over tables and calling the Pharisees' names. But the fact is that he's both of these. Jesus does say, go and sin no more because I don't condemn you. Jesus does say to the Pharisees, you guys are sons of hell. He says both of those. If we don't read the Gospels and we don't read what the Word of God says, we don't know who Jesus is. We're cozying up to a Jesus who probably doesn't exist. There are some silly folks on the internet who talk about how Jesus doesn't exist or didn't exist. And... uh Let's just stop for a minute and let's take ourselves out of the gospel. Okay? Here's what we can know about Jesus without the gospels. Ready? We can know that he did exist. That he was seen as a wonder worker or some kind of miracle worker. We know that he preached about the coming of the kingdom of God, whatever that meant. Now, we we have a better idea what that meant in the Bible, but we're just not using that right now. We know that he was crucified by the Romans under a guy named Pontius Pilate. That's what we know, without the Gospels, no Gospels involved, okay? That's pretty good, right? Oh, yeah, and we know that the Christians, the early Christians, grew from nothing to a lot, and of course, without the Gospels, we don't really know why that happened. We just know that these people who call themselves Christians, who followed this guy, that that the Romans crucified, right, they just grew despite the persecution and the torture and those things. We get into the Gospels, we find out why, but without the Gospels, that's what we know. We get into the Gospels, that's where we can find out who God is, because Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. Sometimes we hear that it doesn't matter how much head knowledge you have. That's wrong. It does. It does. You don't have to know everything, because no one will ever know everything. But it does matter what you know. If I don't know Emily's name is Emily, how far do you think I would get to get asking around on a date? Hey, you, with the pretty hair and the nice voice, not going to work, right? Especially now with that tone of voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's because she knew you knew her name. I'm impressed. He must be really charming. You gotta teach me. So, some people want to pretend that Jesus was just a wild eyed, crazy person running around telling everybody they're going to hell, and if you don't change, that's it. And other people want to pretend that Jesus is just this nice, easygoing dude who never did anything mean. Okay? None of those is true. This is true, by the way, of the whole Bible. All right? When people talk about the Old Testament, a lot of times they only remember the part where the Canaanites died. It's Like, oh, the Canaanite, God was a murdering psychopath. We forget about the Psalms and the Proverbs. We forget about God's constant mercy, God's constant patience with Israel, so on and so forth. We forget all about that. We just focus on these like one or two places where we don't like what God did. So firstly, you cannot know God unless you know what the Bible says about him. You can get some hints, right? We can pray, we can spend time in spirituality, but you're not going to get very far. Secondly, what literally took place in the Bible is only the beginning of of who God is and what he's about. Some people are so busy defending the historicity of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, that there's that they forget to talk about what those things really mean. Just what happens to us. They're so busy arguing with people about, yes, Job really happened, every single word, that they forget to talk about what Job means and why it's in the Bible. There's this old theologian named Karl Barth. Everyone say Karl Barth. He's German. And he's doing a question and answer, and this nice lady stands up and she goes, Mr. Bart, are you saying that the serpent in Genesis three didn't speak? Like didn't actually talk? And Carl Bart says, Ma'am, with all due respect, it doesn't matter so much that the serpent spoke as it does what the serpent said. Yeah, just let that sink in for a minute. A lot of times, Christians climb inside their pool and they just stick in the this literally happened pool. And we don't let this teach us anything about God. Now, this stuff did happen. But we can't just stay here. We have to get out of the pool and let what happened teach us about who God is and what he's about. If you think Jonah is just a story about a guy who escapes from being digested by a whale, then you've missed the point of the story. Go back and read all the way through to the end of chapter 4, and you find out, oh, Jonah ran from God, not because he was afraid, but because he wanted Nineveh to burn. It was God who wanted Nineveh to be saved. So I want you to think about, firstly, if we don't know what the gospel say, we don't know Jesus, we don't know God. What literally happened is important, but we can't stay there. We have to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What does this teach me about who God is? Genre matters, right? How many of you can tell the difference in the first 30 seconds, if you don't know already, the difference between a comedy movie and a serious movie? Pretty easy, right? We know. Now, somebody who's 1,500 years removed from us, who doesn't understand our sense of humor and all those other things, and they travel back in time and sit in a movie theater with us, they might need longer, right? I promise, they might. Genre matters. Otherwise, you think the Bible teaches that the Earth is flat. By the way, there is such a thing as the Flat Earth Society. They do exist. They're on the internet. It's kind of funny. A little scary. Otherwise, you think the earth is built on pillars. Oh, these are figurative things that we find in the Psalms or we find in Isaiah. He's using figurative language to talk about the greatness of God. The Bible says that when Yahweh returns to Israel, that the trees of the forest will clap their hands. Does that mean that trees are going to start clapping their hands? Probably not. It probably is a metaphor. To talk about the glad reception of creation to its creator. We're so busy talking about this stuff. We ignore genre. It says a lot about Revelation. I won't get into that. How about when the Bible says the sun will be darkened. And the moon turned to blood before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Look, he could just be saying, "This is a metaphor to describe the earth-shattering events that are taking place." I just use a metaphor, earth-shattering. Yeah, we do it all the time. We speak in symbols. You guys, who watches? Who's ever watched Star Trek? Yeah, I'm, I'm really getting into nerdville. Okay, there's an episode. It's one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek, and the cast of Star Trek. They're chilling out on their spaceship, and they meet this other group of people, and the other group of people speaks entirely in metaphor. Entirely. Nobody could communicate with them. Why? Because you didn't know the the culture. You didn't know their literature. But if I walk around saying, Juliet on her balcony in the evening, you know what I mean. You can picture it in your head. But if you've never read Romeo and Juliet or never seen it, you'd be like, what? What? What is he smoking? Right. So just keep that in mind. Don't avoid the Old Testament. Some people avoid the Old Testament like the plague. Don't. Because the Old Testament teaches us how to read the Gospels. You see, Jesus did not just walk around saying, I'm God, worship me. Right? There's lots of Muslim and atheist objections to this. Nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus walk around saying, I'm God, worship me. Well, actually, yes, he does, but he's connecting himself directly to the God of Israel as he reveals himself in the Old Testament. The Old Testament teaches you how to read the Gospels. Jesus calls himself the bridegroom in Mark chapter 2. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, God sees himself as Israel's husband, as Israel's betrothed. And so when Jesus calls himself the bridegroom, he's linking himself not only to the God of Israel, but to the long story of how God plans to save his people. Again, if we avoid the Old Testament like a plague, we won't catch that. We'll just be like, what does he mean by bridegroom? Oh, it must be some kind of metaphor. It is. But it's a very Jewish one. The Bible says over and over in the, in the New Testament, Jesus did this according to the scriptures. The scriptures they mean? Old Testament. Not new. The Gospels weren't written when Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians. He means Isaiah. He means Psalms. He means Proverbs. Don't be afraid of those things. God isn't a tame God. He's not just like us. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't do things like us. Some folks reject God not because God is evil, but because He's not like them. We can continue under that illusion as long as we avoid what the Bible says. Context. Context. So we got, you can't know God unless you know what the Bible says. Don't avoid the Old Testament. Understand a bit about genre, right? Understand figurative language when you see it, right? You can't read the Gospels, because they're intending to be a biography about Jesus, the same way you can read the book of Psalms, because he's going off in all kinds of crazy figurative language. Okay? You can't read it the same way you would read the Song of Solomon. The woman is talking about how she's a rose. Obviously, she's not a rose. She has two legs, two hands. <laughs> or or a rose. She could be named Rose. I rose. Context matters, right? That's like when you uh who has kids, or who had? Who has kids, either full, either full grown or little? Okay. So when your kids were kids, like little kids, they would come up to you and be like, "Mommy or Daddy, like you told me I could go outside at this time." And they omit the part where you said, "If your room is clean, if your homework is done." That's like not in the conversation, right? What did they do? They scooped your words out of context and tried to hold you to a promise you made and forget the thing you said. Forget the thing you said. Look, if we do this with the Bible, we can either believe that God is just this guy smoking weed who's cool with everything and doesn't mind, or we think that God is an evil tyrant who wants everyone to obey magic laws that he just makes up for fun. You must understand God in context. The only way to do that is to read the Bible in context. Never just read a Bible verse. Always read a Bible paragraph. Sometimes you might have to go back to a couple paragraphs. Because some paragraphs start, therefore. Well, what is the therefore, therefore? The paragraph before. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> then you go to the paragraph before and it starts with for. Uh-oh, now I have to go another one. It's okay. you got to give them a minute to explain to you who they are. We don't do this in conversation. We don't like, hey, Luke, just start talking to me. Talk, tell me about your day. Oh, yeah. oh you know what? It's, I'm just going to keep talking. Go ahead. Luke, it's great to see you. I love your shirt. Yeah, okay. Ridiculous, right? So we take like one or two Bible verses, we take our confirmation bias, and then we go put them on Facebook, and we say, there it is, so-and-so is the Antichrist. That's like my favorite thing these days. I see it so many times on Facebook. There it is, so-and-so is an evil person because they've done this and this and this. Ridiculous. Examples of people who take God out of context, who take the Bible out of context. Richard Dawkins. Anyone who's ever heard of Richard? You can just Google him, all right? Great scientist should stay in science, okay? Not the greatest theologian, not so good at understanding context. The Westboro Baptist Church. Right, those people are crazy. They took God way out of context. Not the good crazy, like the folks who went to Arrowhead. Bad crazy. Jehovah's Witnesses, taking God out of context. This, by the way, there's no argument for a Jehovah's Witness position if you understand that Jesus is the revelation of the God of Israel. Context matters. We don't want to be taken out of context. How many times you say something that out of context sounds terrible? Yeah, I'm gonna kill you. Right, I'm not gonna kill you. It's a joke. You're like, oh, 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 oh Somebody else who doesn't understand me will be like, oh man, when is he gonna do it? Let's search his car for weapons. Right, context matters. Scripture interprets scripture. Okay. So we don't know who God is without the Bible. We can have some vague notions, right? We can, we can look out at creation and see some design. We can pray and experience some spirituality. But there are limitations. Don't avoid the Old Testament. Context. Genre. Scripture interprets scripture. Now, this one is a little, it's not as tricky as it sounds. I promise. Let's say, actually, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Everyone tells me there. This is everyone's favorite thing to say. Whenever you confront them about something they're doing, that's really bad for them. This is like their favorite thing. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this from people who say they're Christians. They're Christians, they just don't read the Bible. Okay, so, Matthew 7. 1, (laughs) judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. Jump with me to verse 15. Now, Jesus just said, don't judge. Then he says, beware of false prophets. What's he doing? Judging. He's calling something what it is. Because there's a difference between you're going to hell and that's bad for you. Judgment and observation, oftentimes in our culture especially, are mixed. It's not judgment To say, you know, if you keep running toward that 100-foot cliff, you're going to fall and die. And what does the person look like? They're like, don't judge me. Keep running. Right, it's ridiculous. All you're doing is observing reality and making a prediction. That's not good for you. But what do we do? We take the Bible out of context so that it fits our confirmation bias. The Bible just says, don't judge, man. Jesus says, if you keep going, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Verse 15, and 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Not only is he making a judgment, but he's saying to his people, make a judgment. Look at their life and see if you can trust them. If their fruit is bad, you can. not Right after he says, don't judge. It's not my job to tell someone. You're going to hell for that thing right there. It is my job to tell them that there is good news that God came in the flesh to know us, love us, and die for us. And that you can have salvation from yourself by repenting and following Him. I can do that. Context matters. Scripture interprets scripture. You don't know what something says, go find somewhere else where he says it. Use a concordance. uh, You can look it up on Google. Real easy. Still stuck? Ask your pastor. Or ask someone else who's been around a little while longer than you've known Jesus a little longer. Maybe they know. Now this one... Some people don't like to ask the pastor because he's going to tell them something they don't want to hear. Right. Like, are you saying that I have to do this? You want to use the church. Churches are full of people sitting in the pews who don't actually do anything productive with their lives. They just sit around and read the Bible. And then they learn how to lawyer the Bible so that it says what they want it to say. And then when the pastor contradicts them, they walk up to the pastor and tell them, no, pastor, you're wrong. So my four or five years of seminary study versus you spending what? 10, 20 hours total? In front of your computer looking up YouTube videos? That's the same, right? No, not the same. We have to learn to swallow our pride. Sometimes we're just wrong. Sometimes your pastor's wrong. sometimes your pastor's wrong, but I'll tell you what. Now this may sound self-serving, but it's just my experience as when I'm not been a pastor, okay? When you and your pastor disagrees, the safe money is on the pastor. not on us, I promise. And even if you do disagree, unless it's you disagree about Jesus was God or that he came to redeem the world or that he's coming back. You should stay in the church. When I worked at New Covenant, there was a laundry list of things that Pastor Josh and I did not agree on theologically or biblically. A lot lot of little things. They didn't matter. Because we were there for a reason, and that was to expand the kingdom of God in our area. We wanted to serve Jesus. We didn't have to agree on everything. You're not. You're not going to agree with everything that I say. Sometimes I'm going to say something and you're like, "No, that was dumb." It's okay. Pastor Dan's going to have the same problem. He's going to say something and you're I guarantee you at some point you're going to disagree with something he says. So, why are you here? Right. When we read the Bible, we want to ask the Holy Spirit to help the Bible read us. One of my favorite Bible verses is Hebrews 4.12. It says, The word of God is living and active, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword; that it penetrates the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Many folks are in love with the Bible, not with Jesus. Jesus said to the Pharisees, You study the scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life. But I tell you that these things exist to testify about me. The authority of scripture is shorthand for the authority of Jesus over everything. We have to remember why do we do quiet time? Why do we take that 10, 15 minutes of our day? I hope maybe you can find some of that in this conversation in your day somewhere. Why do we take that time and spend it with the word of God? We don't do it so that we can walk around with a bunch of nice head knowledge about what the Bible says. We can lawyer it and beat people over the head with the Bible. It's no fun. I don't like being beat over the head, either figuratively or or actually. What you're reading is not for them. This one gets me every time. People quote the Bible. They put the verse up on Facebook. That's my favorite. You know, social media of choice. Facebook, right? And they're like, this is the Bible. This is what the Bible says. This person should listen to this. Shouldn't you too? Yeah. Look, if the Bible, if you get to a place where what the Bible says is only for your neighbor and never for you, you need to pray. Go find people in the church to help pray over you. Your heart is hard. You need help. The Bible must be allowed to get in those little nooks and crannies where we hide all those secret little heart issues. Some people wear their sin right out in the open, right? They're socially really weird. You know the people I'm talking about. Folks that are socially very awkward. So there's a level of awkwardness for them. Folks that yell a lot. Everything. Folks that have more demonstrative expressions of sinful desire, like sexuality problems or drug and alcohol addiction. It's easy to point the finger and go, "See, you need to read the Bible and spend more time with Jesus. The folks with those secret flaws that eat away at us, a lot of times those people, they come to church, nobody says a word to them. Secret pride. Addiction to praise. Selfishness. These are all things that are chains. There's a bajillion of them, right? These are all things that are chains keeping us from who we can be in Christ. Spending alone time with God, getting into the Word of God and letting the Holy Spirit reach you is a powerful way over time to gain freedom from those things. When we learn to marry knowledge and reflection together, we will become dangerous Christians. People who will be able to speak the truth to someone while loving them and explain to them why. All right, this is what the Bible says. This is why the Bible says it. Because look, if you talk to someone who doesn't know Jesus or doesn't care about what God says, quoting a Bible verse at them does nothing. It does nothing. You know what grabs those people? Love. Then you can speak to them about who that is after you've modeled it, after you've embodied it. So, I want to challenge you guys. Walking with God is this great adventure where the depths of who God is and what He's about go ever deeper and ever deeper and ever deeper. It is like plumbing the depths of an abyss in the ocean. Get out of your pool, go swimming. Don't be afraid of who God is. He is great and mighty and he loves you. He is not tame. He will make you uncomfortable. But as we walk with him and we grow with him, we will become more like him.